Welcome to the First Church Orlando podcast. Here you will find recordings of weekly sermons, devotions, interviews, and seminar recordings from the First United Methodist Church of Orlando. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the podcast. As Jesus came to Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he gave the two disciples a task. He said, go into the village over there. When you enter it, you will find tied up there a colt that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying it? Just say, its master needs it. Those who had been sent found it exactly as he had said. As they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, Its master needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their clothes on the colt, and lifted Jesus onto it. As Jesus rode along, they spread their clothes on the road. As Jesus approached the road leading down from the Mount of Olives, the whole throng of his disciples began rejoicing. They praised God with a loud voice because of all the mighty things they had seen. They said, Blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven, and glory in the highest heavens. Some of the Pharisees from the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, scold your disciples, tell them to stop. Jesus answered, I tell you, if they were silent, the stones would shout. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each heart be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. About a thousand years before the birth of Jesus, 1010 BCE, King David of Old Testament fame conquered Jerusalem with his army, defeating the Jebusites and driving them out and adopting Jerusalem as the new, king, the new capital of the young kingdom of Israel. It was a great day for Israel, not a great day for the Jebusites. In the year 925 BCE, the Egyptian army temporarily captured and pillaged the Egyptians under the leadership of Pharaoh Shishank I. In 586 BCE, King Nebuchadnezzar And the Babylonians laid a long, painful siege of great suffering around the city of Jerusalem, eventually capturing it, destroying it, plundering it, tearing down the ancient walls and gates, tearing down the ancient palaces, and most importantly, tearing down the temple of God. Jerusalem's leading citizens were taken away to foreign lands as slaves, and thus began the Jewish diaspora. In 350 BCE, the Persian army, under the leadership of King Artaxerxes III, captured Jerusalem and burned what little was remaining. In the year 332 BCE, the Greek Macedonian King Alexander the Great also captured Jerusalem, subjugating Jerusalem, making it part of his expanding empire. And then about 60 years before the the birth of Jesus, 63 BCE, Pompey the Great, 
the great Roman general, besieged Jerusalem, capturing it, and then making it part of the expanding Roman Empire, the great Pax Romana. For a thousand years, ten centuries, over and over, Jerusalem was captured and conquered, battered and destroyed by one foreign king after another, by one invading army after another, each bringing ruin, death, subjugation, and destruction. As one of the great nations of the ancient world rose, another fell. And as each rose and fell, so came destruction to Jerusalem. Each of the kings that I mentioned earlier rode into Jerusalem through the ancient gates in armor, riding atop war horses or iron chariots, followed by battle-worn soldiers, leaving death and destruction in their wake. If you've been paying attention to the news recently of what's been going on in Ukraine, if you've seen pictures and videos, you get a modern idea of what happened to Jerusalem over and over and over. But then, in the year 33 CE, the Common Era, a puppet Jewish king named Herod was supposedly ruling over the people of Israel. In actuality, they were governed by the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, who stood in the place of the great Roman emperor Tiberius, ruling from afar. In that year, a different kind of king rode into town. After three years of public ministry, surrounding himself with the least and the last, followed by an army of former fishermen, tax collectors, prostitutes, and even his mom, Jesus rode into town as the new king. Jesus was fulfilling a prophecy on the day we call Palm Sunday. From Zechariah 9.9, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Sing aloud, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king will come to you. He is righteous and victorious. He is humble and riding on an ass, on a colt, the offspring of a donkey. If you listen to the Palm Sunday reading I shared at the beginning of the service, it's pretty obvious that Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. Jesus knew that thousands of Jewish pilgrims had gathered in Jerusalem for the upcoming Passover. Jesus knew that riding a donkey into town, not just walking in as he had many times before, but specifically before the Passover, riding a donkey would make a statement. Jesus clearly knew what the people would think. He knew how his interpretation, his actions would be interpreted. He knew how his followers would react. I suspect he also knew how the religious leaders would react. Jesus was both making a, an intentional public statement, and I think he was poking the proverbial bear, if you will. Archbishop Fulton Sheen once wrote, as one looks in the ancient sculptured slabs of Assyria and Babylon, the murals of Egypt, the tombs of the Persians, the scrolls of the Roman columns, 
One is struck by the majesty of kings riding in triumph on horses or chariots and sometimes over the prostrate bodies of their foes. In contrast to this, here is one who comes triumphant upon a donkey. How Pilate, if he was looking out of his fortress that Sunday, must have been amused by the ridiculous spectacle of a man being proclaimed as a king and yet seated on the beast that was the symbol of the outcast, a fitting vehicle for one riding into the jaws of death. Jesus, riding on a donkey, followed by a bunch of working-class peasants, could not have been a very impressive sight. But that clearly wasn't Jesus' intention or point. Psalm 147, verses 10 and 11 say, God doesn't prize the strength of a horse. God doesn't treasure the legs of a runner. No, the Lord treasures the people who honor him, the people who wait for his faithful love. And so as Jesus approached the city, the crowds were going nuts. His followers started laying down their clothes onto the road, making, if you will, a a red carpet to welcome a visiting dignitary. They cut down palm branches and waved them in the air like victory flags, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. The word Hosanna is a a biblical word. It doesn't get used a lot, but we use it a lot on this day, Palm Sunday. It means save us. Hosanna, save us. And even more pointedly, when it was said, it meant this is the one who can and will save us. Hosanna is a political word. In that context, it literally meant Jesus, Hosanna, save us from these oppressive Roman occupiers. Set us free, Hosanna in the highest. You're the one. The crowds were claiming that Jesus was their new conquering king. Never mind that he wasn't armed. Never mind that he wasn't wearing armor. Never mind that he wasn't riding in a chariot. Never mind that he wasn't followed by a real army. They saw their new king. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This clearly is God's chosen one, God's anointed. This clearly is the one who has the Lord's blessing. This man, Jesus, is the fulfillment of ancient prophecy. Never before had the citizens of Jerusalem waved palm branches for the conquering kings who came to destroy them, who came to subjugate them. They saw something new and different in Jesus. And possibly, arguably, maybe they saw more than was really there. They saw a coming king, but the kind of king Jesus came to be was a very different kind of king. Jesus entered Jerusalem that day, I fully expect knowing what Friday would bring for him. 
that a cross and crucifixion was in his near future, not a throne, that indeed he would be wearing a crown by the end of the week, but not a crown of gold. The author Philip Yancey wrote, yes, there was a whiff of triumph on Palm Sunday, but not the kind of triumph that might impress Rome and not the kind that impressed the crowds in Jerusalem for long either. What manner of king is this? What a great question. What manner of king is this? And if we're going to be honest, who can blame the crowds for their excitement after all that they had been through for so many generations? They truly believed that this was God's chosen one. They believed that they were God's chosen nation. And they hoped that one day God would restore Israel to its former glory. The people wanted a king, a king like David, to come and to cast out the Romans just like David had cast out the Jebusites. And after all, by this point, Jesus had a reputation. He had a following. There were rumors about his authority, his teaching, his miracles, that he would stand up to authority. They concluded, this is the man. This is the one sent by God. This is the fulfillment of prophecy. Now is the time, Hosanna in the highest. But it turns out they were only half right, if that. Jesus was God's chosen, no doubt, and is. Jesus did fulfill prophecy that day. Jesus was and is the king of the universe. But Jesus wasn't coming in conquest. Jesus rode into Jerusalem to begin a work of restoration. Jesus' mission wasn't nation building. Jesus' mission was the restoration of a broken world. To gather up all the broken bits and pieces from one generation's sin after another and all that would come after him. To bring them to the foot of the cross and to heal our broken lives and world. Jesus' mode of operation wasn't an army. It was a cross. When Jesus was arrested the night before his death, remember he was arrested by the temple guards, and the charge they brought against him was blasphemy. It was theological. He claimed to have too close of a relationship with God. But by the next morning, he had been transferred into a different kind of authority. He was taken to the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. And ultimately, the crime that he was charged for was claiming to be a king. Pontius Pilate asked Jesus, are you indeed a king? And Jesus responded, my kingdom doesn't originate from this world. If it did... My guards would fight so that I wouldn't have been arrested by the Jewish leaders. My kingdom isn't from here. Seems clear from all of the Gospels that Pilate was ready to let Jesus go. He didn't see him as a political threat. And yet, he succumbed to pressure. He agreed to have Jesus flogged and then to be crucified. And Pilate ordered that a sign be hung on the cross above Jesus' head 
stating the crime that he had committed. It simply said, King of the Jews, dying outside the city gates of Jerusalem. This is our king, but a, a king like, unlike any other, a king that indeed rules heaven and earth, but never sat on an earthly throne, a king whose reign and rule began on the cross, began as a crown of thorns was forced into his brow. A king who ruled never for personal gain. A king who was the most humble king this world has ever known. Philippians 2, 6 through 8, though he was in the form of God, he did not consider being equal with God something to exploit. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a slave and becoming like human beings. When he found himself in the form of a human, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The author Andy Crouch wrote a book called Playing God, Redeeming the Gift of Power. In his book, Crouch defines power as the ability to make something of the world. The ability to make something of the world. He sees power as a gift to be nurtured. It's meant for the flourishing of creation. It's meant for the common good. It's meant to be used as a gift for others. It's meant to be used with love. And when it's not, power can be abused. It can become exploitive, self-serving, and coercive. Jesus, of course, had ultimate power. He was the one through whom God created the entire universe. But Jesus never once used his power for personal gain. Always, always, Jesus has and is and always will use power for the healing and restoration of all that is broken. Crouch writes, Jesus simply never had a thought except to restore, redeem, and create a new community among whom power would always be used and only for flourishing. None of Jesus' power is reserved for carefully guarding his own privilege or meticulously accounting for status. Every bit of Jesus' power is poured into this one end. For 1,000 years, and truly many years beyond, throughout the history of Jerusalem, one invading king and army came one after another. They abused their power. And that's what you do when your agenda is to defeat and destroy and conquer. But Jesus came for a different purpose. He came to use his power in a more redemptive way to heal, redeem, restore, and make. Jesus came in the spirit of Psalm 147, verse 3. God heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. Rather than exerting his power for his own gain, Jesus laid down his own life. Rather than breaking and bruising others, he allowed himself to be broken and bruised for our sake. 
rather than killing as every king had before him, he allowed himself to be killed for our sake and our salvation. He was pierced because of our rebellions, crushed because of our crimes. He bore the punishment that made us whole. By his wounds, we are healed. What, what kind of king is this? Riding on a donkey. What, what kind of king is this who lays down his life so willingly? What kind of victory ends on a cross? And for that matter, what kind of God would choose this manner for saving the world? What kind of God would watch as his own son willingly suffered and died. Can you imagine? Friends, this is the God of Palm Sunday. This is the God of Maundy Thursday. This is the God of Good Friday. This is the God of the incarnation and the crucifixion. This is the God of the Paschal mystery. This is God's Son, Jesus of Nazareth, the King, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and that you will listen again in the future. If you enjoyed today's message, we hope you'll subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and share it with others on social media. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If this podcast is a valuable resource to you, we invite you to give to this ministry by making a financial contribution at firstchurchorlando.org forward slash give. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.